And most importantly, is the mental strength that you gain through any martial art. Uh, but I find, you know, striking, especially with the striking martial arts, is that you gain so much mental empowerment, you know. And I see that happening all, all on a daily basis with my girls, is that, you know, you'll find girls that come in that are really, really, like, shy, intimidated, um, they're really self-conscious. And after doing like, let's say the beginner course, which my beginner course is eight classes in the month, you see a difference in the way that they, they, that they hold themselves, that they carry themselves. And that's the first thing that someone will teach you when they're teaching you a self-defense course. So what I teach is not necessarily self-defense, but when you're mentally becoming stronger and you're carrying yourself in a different way, you're going to be carrying yourself differently in public. And that's going to, you know, that's the first thing that they teach you is that you need to carry yourself a certain way. Because if you do, nobody's gonna mess with you. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Welcome to the Mo Show podcast. I have an old friend with me today, Hala Hamrani. How are you? I'm fine, Muhammad. How are you doing? I'm so good. I'm so good. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And can I just say, you know, I got to give you a little bit of ego boost here, but this is unbelievable. I'm so proud of you for putting this together. And inshallah, I can only see the greatness in your future. <laughs> this is going to be like, it really is an amazing thing for you. Do you guys see why I love her? Thanks so much. It, <laughs> means, it means so much coming from you. Uh, let's introduce uh, Hala. Hala is the founder of Saudi Arabia's first female boxing gym yep. called Flag Boxing. I loved it the first time I heard it as a name. And then I found out what the name represents, the acronym of it all. Yes. Fight like a girl. Yes. Um, it's a super catchy name. Um, and she has done a lot of work in that regard. She's been approached by some of the biggest photographers in the world. We're gonna get into that. So mom is American. She is. Uh, dad is Saudi. Mm -hmm. What was your background like growing up and where does fighting fit into it? Uh, okay. <laughs> so being raised by an American mother, and actually my father was very much a, a part of me being con always in, uh, physical activity. But from a very young age, uh, I was in everything you can imagine. Uh, gymnastics, um, dance, you know, every time we left the country. Because at the time growing up, and I'm talking about the 80s here, okay, um, there wasn't any professionals available um, in terms of any kind of sports, to be honest, at that point. And so every time we left the country, which was quite often, um, in the summer, especially we would go and visit my, my mom's family in the U.S. Uh, we, you know, growing up, we would go to London quite a, quite a bit because my father was part of a polo team in London. And so that was also part of our lives. And so whenever we would leave the country, we were always exposed to different types of sports. Um, saying that, though, my introduction into martial arts was actually in school in Saudi Arabia. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to go to a school that took sports really, really, like it was really important for them to be able to have all kinds of sports in school. And part of the, the curriculum was karate was on the curriculum. And so that was my first introduction to martial arts. And I think I was around 12. In all honesty, this is what I have in my head and this is what I can remember. Whether I was younger or older, I'm not 100% sure. But from what I remember, I think that's when I was first exposed to martial arts. 
Um, from there, I got introduced to an American couple living in Saudi Arabia. And I started to practice Japanese jiu-jitsu. So Japanese jiu-jitsu is a form of self-defense. It's the form of self-defense. And that's where Brazilian jiu-jitsu was derived from. So you know Gracie jiu-jitsu if you're here about Gracie jiu-jitsu. Japanese jiu-jitsu is, is, is the, basically what Gracie jiu-jitsu was derived from. And I practiced Japanese jiu-jitsu. I actually practiced that with my mother and my sister. So we were all part of this... Um, a uh, group of people that were practicing under this American couple that was living in Saudi Arabia at the time. There were expats uh, working in Ray the Raytheon compound. And that kind of became just my obsession, I would say. Um, I think that it took me about five years to be able to get my black belt in uh, in. Japanese jiu-jitsu and during the process I was also kind of going into different styles so I would practice taekwondo, hapkido, you know any type of martial arts that I could get my hands on. Um, from there I think uh, things uh, when I would when I graduated from high school and went off to the states to go to San Diego uh, I really wanted to learn how to throw a proper punch because everything that I had learned was more for throwing, kicking. So my kicking game was amazing. But I wanted to be able to throw a proper punch. So I started to practice Muay Thai while I was in San Diego. And from there, um, any chance I got, I was just, you know, going back after I finished university and came back. Any chance I got, I would just go back and try and, better my practice in uh, also, you know, mostly Muay Thai, kickboxing, and then I met a Russian boxer and changed my style to boxing. I have four or five pending thoughts uh -huh. that I <laughs> wanted to counter with in, the, in your opening monologue, which I very much appreciated, yeah. every single word of it. And uh, just chronologically, if I can go back to you talking about karate. Yeah. Is it karate or karate? Like Honestly, Ross Geller? I think it's karate. 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 <laughs> I believe we went to the same. I've been watching a lot of Cobra Kai recently. Okay. And so karate, 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 karate is all I've been hearing. You just hearing. say it like them. Karate. Karate. So I believe we, we went to the same school. Uh, that yes. That thicket is yes, where yes. you picked up karate for the first time. It was your first being yes. exposed to the sport. Unfortunately, the teacher that we had that came in, I don't think she stayed more than one semester, though. It was one semester of one year. And so that was just a brief introduction into the sport. It wasn't something that continued throughout the years I was there. Uh, as I, you know, after she left, I was more into the gymnastics, basketball, um, mostly basketball and gymnastics, mm -hmm. I would say, yeah. My, my my the question that I'm trying to formulate, mm -hmm. and I want to see if you can help. If anyone's going to help me with it, it's going to be you. Why is it that karate and judo is the entry point to martial arts to the Saudi youth growing up in the 80s? Yes, I think that's that. That's what we had available to us. Those were the teachers that we had available to us, and so it was more karate, judo, like you say. Uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu was just because of the American uh, couple that, that 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 I got introduced to. But yeah, like you say, karate was mostly the teachers that we had available yeah. to us. And until today, I think it's what um, the country fixates on when it comes to the martial arts. Although that's transforming now, and that we can get into that. But uh, yeah, karate was the only martial art, I would say, that was available 
in terms of trainers or coaches or mm. senseis, if you will. Someone who could uh, who could hold the class karate yeah, would be. for sure. But you, you mentioned that you wanted to be able to throw a proper punch mm. or the perfect punch. What made you want to throw the perfect punch? Was it the movie that, that influenced you or was there a reason why you wanted to? Oh my gosh, I get asked the question all the time and I don't know what it is. I really don't. I think that I had, it was just like a sort of organic evol evolution of my sport, you know, as being able to, okay, now I can kick really well, I can throw really well. Um, you know, what's the next step? And that would be to punch really well. And so that's when I started practicing Muay Thai. And with Muay Thai, I was able to, it's called the art of eight. And so you're able to use your fists, both your elbows, both your knees, and both your feet. And so I was able to translate all that I had, you know, or to take all I had learned, you know, throughout my teachings in martial arts and then just implement the punching aspect. And that was when I fell in love, like completely fell in love with, with my martial arts, you know, not to say that I wasn't completely loving, you know, Japanese jiu-jitsu, but I think when I started to strike was when I really truly fell in love. I saw a video of yours on Instagram of you punching. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we're gonna put it up on the screen okay. right now. All right. Um, I will never get on your bad side uh, ever, ever again. You know what I saw when I saw that? Mm -hmm. I saw a good, forgive me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. what I saw was a decade. Yeah, yeah, more than that. Or, oh yeah, minimum <laughs> worth of practice. Yeah, yeah. 10,000 hour rule. Yeah, yeah, it's been a really long time. I mean, again, I've been doing, well, I've been teaching since 2003. Um, but I've actually been practicing since, you know, forever. I can't, I don't even know. Like I'm in the the middle ages of my life, you know, you know, I'm, <laughs> so I've been practicing my whole life and trying to become better at what I do throughout my life, you know. So, um, yeah, I think that if one is to start a skill, highly based skill, uh, like like boxing or any type of martial art, it's it's time and practice that you'll see the difference in. You know, it's not something you can obtain or attain in in such a short period of time. And this is what I always tell my students: Can anyone get there? Do you have oh, yeah. to have the DNA for it? No, anyone can get there. And when it comes to you know, if you think about anything in life, you can definitely reach your goals if you put enough time sweat and tears into it you know obviously like anything if you put in the time and the practice then you're going to be getting reaching your goals i think it's just having an open mind about how long it takes to reach those goals and you know part of what i see in this country and unfortunately is that women don't necessarily view sports or or training or fitness or uh, you know obtaining a skill as something that's a lifelong process. They see it as a short-term thing. And I think that's where, you know, like anything, you won't be able to reach a certain uh, goal or you won't be able to reach a certain place in your training unless you put in that time. Yeah, breaking the barrier. Of into, course, yeah, yeah, totally. of course. Well, are you happy with where we are now uh, in terms of how the landscape looks in Saudi Arabia for women? or men, but let's focus on women right yeah. now, entering martial arts, being able to participate, A, getting good at what they're doing, and most importantly for me, being able to stand up for themselves physically yes. if they were ever harassed or abused. Mm. 
I think that we are still in need of many coaches in this country. You know, for me to be one of the only ones still, you know, only females, I would say, uh, in the country that is teaching this type of sport, uh, you know, that just won't do. The problem is, is that what, and what I find to be difficult in opening different facilities is that to find a female coach, even a coach from around the world, we're talking about anywhere in the world. If you had an open sort of, you know, map of looking at different coaches from around the world that are females, there are very few and far between. And then having someone come into the country to live in Saudi Arabia, you know, a foreigner coming in, living in Saudi Arabia, teaching the sport is difficult to find. And so I've found it pretty hard. And I get asked this question quite a bit. It's like, do you hold workshops for women uh, to become uh, boxing instructors? The problem with this is that it's not something, again, that you can attain in like three months time, six months time. It's really not, unless you're, you're focused on training fitness boxing which is not what I do. And it's not what I would want if I were able to open loca different locations in different cities in, the, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, I would want to be able to, to, to um, give the sport like a skill that it is, you know, the boxing skills that you need. And so all the footwork goes, on, goes into it and so forth. And so anytime someone comes to the gym, I'm always like, this is not a fitness boxing class. Please understand that. If that's all you want, then this is not the right location for you. Um, can, so can, I think. Can I interrupt you for one second? Mm -hmm. and, and I'm going to let you finish. How would you pitch it to uh, an instructor who's abroad, perhaps listening to this, saying, right. you know, elevator pitch, Hala? What does the setup look like in your gym and what are you looking for in an instructor? Well, funnily enough, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, so I was approached by a Norwegian uh, boxing instructor. Uh, through Instagram. She got a hold of me and she was in love with the concept of teaching women uh, in Saudi Arabia and that it was just uh, just part of, you know, what was happening during the women empowerment movement that was happening in Saudi Arabia at the time. And so the idea that, oh, I opened the first gym and that my goal was to empower women through the through the sport. She was so intrigued by it that she was like, I want to come. She was the one that approached me and so forth. But if I were to pitch it, I would say that you would be part of a process that is happening now, a process that you would be literally the person to empower women in a country where women are not necessarily or weren't necessarily empowered. And so it's so important for not just the physical aspect, for the mental empowerment that women gain through the sport. And I think for me, that's the most important part. Like when, when someone walks into the gym, it's not about them, you know, spot modifying, which is what I normally get. It's like, how can I lose weight on my hands and my arms, but I don't want to lose weight here and there. And so it's like trying to educate them on why this is important for you. And most importantly is the mental strength that you gain through any martial art. Uh, but I find, you know, striking, especially with the striking martial arts, is that you gain so much mental empowerment, you know. And I see that happening all, all on a daily basis with my girls, is that, you know, you'll find girls that come in that are really, really, like, shy, intimidated. Um, they're really self-conscious. And after doing, like, let's say the beginner course, which my beginner course is eight classes in the month, you see a difference in the way that they they that they hold themselves, that they carry themselves. And that's the first thing that someone will teach you when they're teaching you a self-defense course. So what I teach is not necessarily self-defense, but when you're 
mentally becoming stronger and you're carrying yourself in a different way, you're going to be carrying yourself differently in public. And that's going to, you know, that's the first thing that they teach you is that you need to carry yourself a certain way. Because if you do, nobody's going to mess with you. Okay, nobody's going to mess with me because I carry myself a certain way in, 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 in public. It's like, you know, I'm very confident. I'm very self-aware. You know, I'm aware of my surroundings. I'm always looking through my peripherals. These are very basic self-defense, you know, pointers that you learn. You've always been like this or since you started in 03? I think, no, wait, I've always been like this, but... Always I mean, had your wits about you? I've always had my wits about me. I think martial arts brought it to the surface a lot more, definitely. I think I've learned a lot through my process. Uh, I think that I've always had, a, I'm pretty self, you know, assured. I don't, I've never really needed any outside, you know, sort of assurance. Um, I don't know what that comes from, where that comes from. I don't know if, I really don't actually. So um, but yeah, but these are things that you can learn. If you do not have it, it can be learned. It's not something that, you know, everybody grows up feeling like self-confident. Obviously not, that's not the case. And I see that that's very much not the case with my girls, is that there is this fear and there is this, you know, um, just the way they hold themselves is not very strong. So you're saying that after a couple of months with you in in in, in practicing in you know signing up for sessions or, or whatever you see a gain in the way they carry themselves and how they feel in their own skin a hundred million percent a hundred million percent especially mentally the way they carry themselves is completely different I've had girls come in that have you know uh, being part of you know the fitness world as well and I'm sure a lot of coaches will tell you this and a lot of trainers will tell you this is that we're we're considered therapists. Okay, like we, we, we carry that role whether we like it or not. And it's not like I'm telling everybody that comes in like, oh, let's talk about what's going on in your life. It just comes up. It comes up. It's something that you're new, you're doing something very physical. And with the physical, you start, to, you know, to mentally as well change. And then there's the days where they're just feeling horrible and down and low and things come up. And you have, you know, I've had women that have had uh, problems in their in their marital life and, and in their family life and that they've found it hard to deal with. And then through them coming through um, the classes and, and gaining that mental empowerment, they've been able to focus that empowerment in their daily lives, mm -hmm. in their family unit and, you know, with their marriages. And so it has already been uh, apparent to me that this happens. You know, many, many different examples throughout the years of me doing this. Have I seen this happen? It's, prof it's profound, man. I mean, to the point where Muhammad, where this is something that really drives me insane, is that I have little girls that come into class. So when I say little, I mean teenagers because I refuse to teach kids just because I don't have the patience for it. If I did, I, I would totally It requires a lot of patience. It really does. Yeah, yeah. And so I see these teenagers who have, you know, completely convinced their parents, like, I want to try boxing. Please just let me go for a month. They'll come for a month. They'll become so addicted and so, you know, mentally stronger that they're just like, okay, I want to, you know, I want to continue this. And they love it and enjoy it. And their parents are like still questioning, why do you want to do it? But what do you mean? What are you getting out of it? This drives me insane. And I, I see this so often that it's one of the major reasons what I think, like part of what I do, what's so important about it is the education process. And, not, you know, people understanding that 
um, it's so important for your children, not just for the physical aspect, but it's so important for them for th for them to become stronger in themselves and carry themselves a certain way. Why do some parents? How are some parents unable to see that? I don't know. Can you please explain that to me? Because I have not. Is it a generational it. thing? Do, do, I mean, do they clearly they see a change in the behavior? I think it's a cultural thing. I don't think I don't know if it's a generational thing because I've had uh, mothers bring in their kids before, and you know their teenage daughters, and they've been mothers that were older, and yet they were more open minded about the idea of their kids, you know, in combat sports. Yeah. And then I've had younger parents come in bringing their kids in and then, you know, they're the ones that are like, well, why do you want to continue doing this? I don't understand. What is it benefiting you? Mm. And so I always tell these girls and it they break my heart because I, they're just like in a situation where they're like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, let your parents call me and I will give them, you know, the reasons behind why this is good for you. I mean, other than the fact, some of them actually don't like that they were becoming mentally empowered. Truly, 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 Muhammad, this is the case. The parents didn't. Yeah, no, they didn't. Because then if you are too strong, then you're not going to listen to your husband. This still happens in our culture, believe it or not. And it happens with the younger generation. I'm not talking about the older generation. I'm not talking about our parents' age and older. You know, I'm talking be. about the younger generation, that this is still... A, a stigma in their mind. Yeah, that was the word I was going to hit exactly. on. They want them to be subservient to their, exactly. to their uh, spouses. You need to be subservient. Yeah. And and God forbid you're empowered enough to have a, your own personality, you know? So this is one of the biggest things that I feel is so important for me to educate um, when women come in. And I have to hold my tongue so much of the time because I have to be like, okay, this is not your role, okay? You shouldn't be telling these girls that your parents are dumb or your parents don't understand what they're talking about. Or what. So I have to be very politically correct about it and kind of go through, go. It's very hard for me to be politically correct, to be honest. It really is. It's like not. I'm just not my forte. No, no, and and I will never ask you for it to be your forte. You know, get a cat. Be, be it's who very you are. hard. I have to hold myself so you, much of the time. You are a hala hamrani because of reasons that you aren't submissive because you are not <laughs> politically true. correct because because That's because. True. You have carved a name out for yourself, and mm. this is your identity, and you either like it yes, or you don't. Yeah. You're very unapologetic. Very much so. Very much so. And I love that. Oh, thank you so much. Really? For that. Yeah. Thank I mean, you. It's, it's, I mean it. I mean it. <laughs> um, but you know what? That's like something that I completely had no idea that you had to juggle behind oh, the scenes. It's the most one. Of yeah, dealing with the you know the, the mother and 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 kid relationship. Of course. Because they probably don't like how their child is is now, you know, dealing with them or like possibly uh, yeah, challenging them. Possibly yes. Possibly yes. They're becoming way too empowered. And the thing is is that, you know, martial arts is a you, it's, it's, you have to find your footing in it, to be honest. In the beginning, it might be a, a little bit overwhelming. And then, and it's like in your first initial uh, feeling when you start doing martial arts is, I just want to hit something, you know what I mean? And there's all this aggression yeah. that starts to come up to the surface. And um, it's only through time that you start to find that inner peace, mm -hmm. truly, when you start practicing martial arts. Because I understand in the beginning, it's it's a very much like, it's about the, the impact and the striking and the aggression, and I'm letting out all this anger. And this is one of the biggest things that I see with women in this country is that, that that's their first reason. If you were to say, 
what are the reasons that women walk into my gym? First one is like, I need to hit something. Yeah. Because yeah. I need to get this out. Yeah. You know, I know that for me, you know, hitting things was such a huge, it's still such a huge outlet. And it's a great way of, you know, taking all that weight that you have on you and just letting it go. And that's where all the emotional aspect comes in. Because when you're hitting something and you're letting out all this aggression, you get a lot of girls that cry. You know, the emotional side comes out. You get a lot of girls that cry, a lot of girls that want to talk. In action. In action. They, they break down. Oh, yeah. It's a great release. It's an unbelievable release. It's in, endorphins. It's endorphins, yeah. and you're just letting all this stuff out. And so all this stuff comes to the surface, and it's it's wonderful. It is wonderful. And you feel like a different person yeah. when you walk out of totally. that. You know, you feel totally. like a different person. Yeah. It, it makes whatever small problems that you had almost insignificant, yes. and it makes your big problem something that you're able to deal with. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And why wouldn't want someone want that for their kids? Absolutely. Why wouldn't you want it? Yeah. yeah. Right? So I don't know. I still have, a, we still have a long ways to go when it comes to that educational so, part. Two of uh, my friends, they're big on jujitsu. Mm -hmm. It's what, uh, you know, the Gracie sport. Jiu -jitsu. Uh, Gracie jujitsu. Gracie yeah. jujitsu. Yeah. So it's, it's a sport that is, uh, I guess, the, the, the background of pretty much every UFC fighter. It's jujitsu where they start and then. They, they enter UFC yes. and UFC has grown to a place that nobody could imagine. Yes. It's, it, it's up there, which is great for mixed martial arts or martial arts in general. That it's in the States, UFC is it's bigger than soccer. Mm -hmm. It's it's not as big as NFL. It's probably as big. Is it not as big as NFL no, yet? NFL is the golden child. Okay. Yeah. I don't know anything it's, about it's that. It's probably, it's probably for my sports fanatics, mm -hmm. we're somewhere between baseball and NBA. Okay. That's how big UFC is now. Oh yeah, it's huge. And I don't think I'm. I think that I think I I was very fair in putting it between second and third, mm -hmm. which is basketball, baseball, baseball. and and this is something <laughs> because it's it's America's number okay. one pastime, baseball. It's like and it's yeah, on. No, teams pay 160 games out of 365. You're paying every other day, pretty much. Okay. Um. So this is amazing for a sport. That was born uh, not that long ago. Not that long. I You're know, talking less than two decades yes, ago. Yes, yes. So, fighting in general or that world mm -hmm. has really grown in in popularity exponentially. Exponentially. Yeah. When I was, you know, I remember this vividly, uh, and this is probably with the growth of social media as well. But when I was, you know, early on in my career, looking for different YouTube videos or this or that, and seeing what's out there, and you know, the fight world. There was nothing out there. There was literally nothing out there. And now, I mean, there's so much. It's saturated with all these fighters that are out there and all this information that is out there and all, you know, these YouTube videos that are out there. Endless. And so I find that, funnily enough, in this country, and I've had these girls come to my classes, that the girls that are so desperate to learn, a lot of girls from Medina, from Medina, uh, that want to learn, go on YouTube and learn through YouTube. And they are really good fighters. Wow. They're really good. Like when I, they've come into my classes or done my workshops before, because I used to hold these kickboxing workshops. And uh, I was like, um, how did you learn this? And they're like, through YouTube. So it's, you know, all this information being out there is pretty incredible that they're able to to gain this 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 stuff through that. It's It's crazy. It's and it's sad. It's sad because they don't have the facilities yet. We do not have the widespread facilities for women in the country, in this sport yeah. specifically. Again, I'm probably one of the only women, 
till today that teaches it as a skill versus teaching is at a fitness. I'm not happy with that. I'm not either. You shouldn't be. I'm really not happy with that. But again, you know, finding coaches that are good enough. And like for me, the reason why, and everybody always asks me, why haven't you expanded it? Like, why don't you expand to Riyadh, especially Riyadh? I get hit up by Riyadh all the time. And um, my whole answer to that is that, first of all, I'm a horrible businesswoman. That's one thing. And so, and I haven't found the investors that I were co- was comfortable with to be able to do that. But other than that, is being able to bring in the good coaches that will be able to teach the sport the way I see that it needs to be taught. You know, those that's not as easy as you think. To find a male instructor, absolutely. I have a few on my list right now. And I've already, you know, asked through social media and through um you know, different venues, I've asked, like, would you be able, and I've asked my students, would you be okay with teaching under a male instructor? And until now, even the ones that are slightly open, more open-minded, are not comfortable okay. being taught under a male instructor. And so we still have, you know, ways to Some go. To cover yeah. Did you ever think about cultivating one of your local girls, one yeah. of your A students, to become the next Hala? Yeah, so I had uh, one of my girls, actually Najil Fadl, who is now living in Dubai and teaching CrossFit. She was one of the students that I had that was kind of like shadowing me constantly. But she went more, at that time I was focusing more on CrossFit. I had gotten my CrossFit certification and I was teaching out of my parents' house. That's how I started, was was teaching out of my parents' house until 2016 when I finally got my own location. Mm -hmm. But um, she was, uh, she's my protege. Mm. And the problem is, is that it wasn't towards boxing. She t- was taught all the stuff that I learned through CrossFit and through calisthenics and stuff. Because throughout my process of teaching, I wouldn't say I stayed with one sport. I think like I'm an ever evolving, you know, human being. And I'm, I kind of, am, you know, love all types of sports. And so the, the, the martial arts was the, the one that stuck. But at, at the same time, I was, you know, going into calisthenics and teaching that. Uh, doing workshops with that, going into CrossFit, the same thing, um, you know, and different, all different movement. So I became obsessed at some point with uh, movement. I don't know if you've ever heard of Ido Portal. Um, he's a very, very, very famous practitioner in the movement community, as well as John Ewan, who is an amazing, also practitioner in the movement community. So I started, I studied under them, went to their workshops, brought John here. I mean, I've done everything and anything. I'm, when you say you know, movement, is it like mobility? It is kind of, yeah, of course it involves mobility, but it's like you have so many different aspects to it. It's like, you know, you. It's a part of it is animal flow, part of it is calisthenics, mm-hmm. part of it, you know, there's just, a, it's a big, it's a, it's one word for a lot of things. Yeah, it's another world. Uh, wow. Yeah. Your father upon hearing that mm-hmm. you wanted <laughs> oh, we're going there we're going to go we're there we're going there how did uh, <laughs> how did he receive you wanting to become a trainer for martial arts i think that uh first of all my father was able he gave me a space well i used his space <laughs> in his house Mm. for long periods of times and then um at some point it was like i think he thought of it as a he didn't think of it as a job he thought of it like she's basically mm, you know just spending her time teaching people and that's what she wants for her life and that's fine 
And then when I finally, like, he basically wanted his space back. He will not never <laughs> say that this was the case, but he wanted his space in the house. And I was like, you know, at that point, I was like, okay, I've been doing this forever. I think I should be become legit and open my my own space. And so that's when I started looking for spots in 2016. It was 2016 that I opened, April of 2016. And, uh, yeah, like, I don't know. I think when he really finally was able to uh, be proud of my process was when, um, you know, they have this newsletter, Al-Ghumad, okay, have this newsletter that is sent to them every so often, I don't know how often. And part one of the newsletters that was sent was an article about me. And they were praising that uh, Bint Mohammed Al-Himrani was, you know, a, ki- a kickboxing boxing instructor and she's the first one to open a gym for ladies and they were so encouraging of it. And I think that's when he was finally able to let go of all this fear of me being in the public eye because at some point, uh, especially like, you know, when women empowerment became such a huge thing in Saudi Arabia, um, I would say in the boom of like 2018, 2018 is when my life started changing. Prior to that, 2014 is when uh, Lindsay Adario, um, National Geographic photographer. She is, she's a bullet point on my list. She is definitely <laughs> someone I need to speak about because she ch- kind of put me on the map when it came to, internationally I'm talking about, when it comes to what I do. Uh, so she came in in 2014 and she, they were doing an article in National Geographic about women in Saudi Arabia, something that hadn't been done before. And she was shooting women in Saudi. My sister Dani was actually on it. But every single woman that she shot for that article were women wearing head cover. Except for me. Of course. And so... <laughs> it had to be someone. No, you didn't understand. <laughs> this was like, I didn't realize what I was getting myself into at the time. And I remember when she came and shot me, she was just basically like, okay, go ahead and just start kicking and hitting the bag. And so for like a good half an hour, I was just sitting there going crazy on the bag. And she got this incredible picture of me doing a flying kick. So I'm up in the air and I'm doing a flying kick. It's a very that. cool picture. I remember that. We're going to put it up right you, now. You got to put it up right now. Right now. Look so at that. <laughs> um, you got, you just got for her sake, just for Lindsay's sake, you got to show that picture. A hundred percent with her permission. Yes, yeah. absolutely. You got up for that. You got high. Yeah, yeah. So that was in it. That, that when that happened and they contacted me, because it wasn't like a hundred percent that I was going to be featured. But then when I was featured in National Geographic, it was, you know, I think I was so scared. And so, like, what happened was all of my family and friends were contacting me and like, oh, my God, this is insane. All of a sudden, my social media, which flagboxing was already, you know, um, on Instagram at that time. But, like, my followers were, like, nothing. Mm-hmm. And why, why were you scared? Well, first of all, I hadn't told my father that I was going to be featured in National Geographic. Okay, that's one. Secondly, I was on the front page of National Geographic online, their website, for a whole day. Thirdly, (laughs) I was featured on their Instagram account. I remember that. That day. And that blew up Mm. like crazy. Like, I don't, things started just to be insane in one moment, you know. And... I remember going home, getting under the covers of my bed and just freaking out. Like, oh my God, what did I do? I cannot believe that I'm this exposed as a Saudi woman 
in National Geographic. And this is 2014. And this is 2014. It's not like we're talking about early 2000s yeah, here. Yeah. We're talking about 2014 when things started to change in the country. Yeah. Fast forward to 2018, and I become the poster child for women empowerment in Saudi Arabia. I was the Ministry of Information. We're sending all these news people towards me. Like every single day there was a new person yeah. coming in and doing all these like news, um, you know, are just what do you call them newscasts or news whatever about uh, features about flag boxing how i started me personally and it was just a whirlwind and a very nice short video of saudi arabia also that was surfaced. a very cool one but that was a local that was a local that was, yeah that was local looked really yeah they it did. was very cool it was super and and, and you were um, representing, you know, the, the the female empowerment movement yes. of the country in that, which was really that was cool. a local. Uh, that was through the Ministry of Information, I believe. They're the ones that had it. There it was. It's actually the Instagram is, ca is called Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, but mm -hmm. I've had, uh, you know, it, and those were. I always knew that they were going to show me in the in a right light. But then when all the other foreign press was coming in, my worry was that I was going to open my big fat mouth and say something stupid. You know, just anything. They can take anything you say and, and take it out of context. For sure. Which they did, by the way. <laughs> and then when they did that, I was like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, I don't yeah. want this anymore. Yeah, it was scary. A lot harder to be okay. Like you said, you you know, you know, went home, head under the covers. You're like, what did I just That's do? That's scary. All right, yeah. So back, back, this is in 2014, but it was a lot different back then. Today... Mm. Would have that, would that be the case? No, it wouldn't even. I mean, I wouldn't even care. I mean, it wouldn't even make news. No, it wouldn't. You know, because it's been done before. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, having a woman doing a flying kick in National Geographic as a Saudi woman. It wouldn't. You know, Lindsay. Hopefully, she's coming back now. She she in you know she's coming back next week, inshallah. And she had said something about doing another feature, and I was just thinking, well, what can I give her? You mm. know, what has changed? She said, what has changed since then? Are you teaching men now? And I'm a private gym, so yeah, absolutely I do. I teach men privately, mm -hmm. why not? Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that's newsworthy, you know? So for me in my life, what has changed from 2014 till today, I wouldn't say very much in terms of the training. Like I said, a lot of females are still not comfortable being trained by men. If that were the case, that would be a great thing for her to shoot, but that isn't. But I think the culture probably changed a lot more 100%. than your offering. Yes, yes, yes. She's going to see the a different... She's going to see a different culture for sure. I think she's going to see a different side of Saudi. Too bad she didn't come in last month. Mm. Last month when all the stuff was happening oh, yeah. at the Red Sea Film Festival yeah. and all the art scene. And, you know, you have so much... You had so much going on. Oh, my God. Uh, Middle Beast. Middle Beast. Formula One. Formula One? Yeah, yeah. I went to that. Yeah. That was cool. It was, it was a crazy December. It is. What's something we don't know about you? I mean, I, I'm extremely ADD. And this is something that actually... That's why we get along. <laughs> I know you are for sure. And I used to always say that to you. Um, I think that I think that's one of the reasons why I was so in love with and, uh, you know, was driven towards um, sports in general was I was able to always stay in action and in motion and... And like you see, I don't know if people are going to notice this, but I'm constantly moving my feet. I'm, I, you know, there's no way I can sit down. Um, a desk job is not for you. A desk job is not for me. For me to do this would probably drive me crazy. I would have to stand up every so often and, you know, move around and so forth. But um, I think I chose the, the perfect occupation for 
my personality trait, you know, and for having this ADD and being able to, you know, move constantly and be on my feet all day, every day. It's been like the perfect thing for me, you know. Is is one way uh, you manage stress by putting on your gloves and going at a bag or do you have any other ways? Um, it used to be the only way uh, that I would manage stress. It's not necessarily putting on gloves. It's also just kind of moving. Nowadays, the way I manage stress is I get out in nature. And the older I get, the more I need it. Um, during, right after lockdown, and when we were locked down for like, what, five months it was that we couldn't leave the house or we couldn't be out and so forth, I really started to feel the need to get out and be in nature. And so I went to um, Tenoma, which is in the south. Yeah, beautiful. And it's really gorgeous. <laughs> and I, I just fell in love with it. And then I started climbing from then. Yeah. So I took on climbing as a hobby and it became like an addiction for a good year. Um, and that that helped a lot with my stress levels that were really insanely high during COVID mm -hmm. and not being able to work and not being able to, you know, that I took a huge hit during that time. And so lots of frustration, lots of anxiety and lots of stress and the only thing that helped it was being outdoors until today to be honest you aren't the first second or third or last person to talk about what climbing did for you mm -hmm. is it the whole being out in nature while working out that that kind of two, two in one type of thing yes definitely for me it is for me it is because i also I took a bit of a, you know, some time off climbing and I haven't felt the pull of the mountains to be able to climb in the last six months, I would say. But that still is not the case when it comes to nature. Like I still try to find myself in, in, in situations where I'm outdoors or I'm camping. I took on camping as well. Not so much hiking because I'd rather not hike. Yeah. But like if I'm doing some type of activity outdoors, then I'm pretty much in my in my happy place. Does the danger element of climbing, is it a thrill that pulls you in as well? You know what? Um, uh, being heights was one. Of, I have, I would say, two huge fears of my life. Heights. Heights was one of them. And I was able to face it head on with climbing, which I'm very proud of myself for, but to be honest. Should be. And the second one is sharks. And everybody that knows me knows this about my that knows this about me. And they find it hilarious and they send me videos of sharks. And to the point where I can't actually look at videos or any kind of screen if there's a shark on the screen. You have it bad. Huh? That's bad. And so shark, my whole shark movie, you can't. I can't. Just saying it, it really bothers me. I think before I came here, I swear to God, I saw a video. <laughs> I saw a video of these uh, Australian newscasters. Is that how you say it? newscasters? Yeah, News yeah, yeah. And they were, they had just seen a footage of a, a great white flying out of the water. And I almost died. Like I literally throw my phone across the room whenever I see a shark video. And my cousins who know this about me always send it to me because they find it hilarious. I know what I'm going to send you from now on. Yep. But did this stem from a situation? I would in the say past? Jaws. To Jaws, be honest, Jaws. I was raised watching Jaws. I was raised watching Jaws in Seychelles. Okay. Seych the Seychelles Islands. When you're in the water pretty much every day. That, that would do it for you. I though. mean, that's it. Yeah, I need, That was it. 
that's what did it. Any of the other sisters share the phobia? You know, that's funny that you say that. I don't think so. Not like I do. Not like I do. But I think one of the things that I'm going to have to do to be able to is face it head on and go in a cage. cage. I'm going to have to do it at one point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I do in my life is that if I know that there's certain things that I fear, um, I kind of try to face them head, head on. And so you'll never have a problem again. Hopefully not. I had a problem with turbulence for the longest time. Okay. When I when there's turbulence, there's nothing I in my mind that I don't read. That's the <laughs> Yeah, it's it's all coming You're out. Automatically. It's all, I'm sweating. I know that by the know, way, that I had that too. I had that too. Yeah. Like I really get it bad. I know. I think yeah. of all the bad things I did. Of course, in my life. of course. <laughs> and then we went skydiving on a very windy day uh, and we semi crashed. Wait, 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 wait. So just a second. You have trouble with turbulence. And then you said, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go skydiving on a windy day. Why would you do that I, I, on a windy day? I can explain. Okay. All right. So I went with two of uh, my best friends. Mm -hmm. And it was in Vegas. And we just happened to be the last people to go out on the day. Okay. There's nothing worse than waiting for something to happen, uh -huh. you know? I know. It's like, just put me on it. Just throw me yeah, off. Yeah, just me push. Off. Or, I know. Or, you know, if you're about to jump off a high, <laughs> the longer you wait, of course you're I just hate not going to do it. Yeah, no, I'm going to do it. So we just happen to be the last slot. Oh, my God. And I'm not going to tell my two best friends that I'm not going to be able to do this. Yeah. I <laughs> look like it. But a, a, a few times, I remember my <sighs> nose started bleeding. Oh, from nervousness of course never oh happened to me before gosh, that's I, insane, and when we actually jumped like i still had like a piece of paper that was <laughs> waving in the wow you have that on the video if i can find that it is yeah, yeah. you're gonna put that on here it's definitely People, somewhere no, you have to put it okay, on okay if i can find it if i can find it i will <laughs> i i I'll, I'll try to find it and if yeah. i do i'll put it on Please, right now my god it's 30 thing. kilos heavier oh my god so um <laughs> so yeah we happen to be the last one to jump and Everything opened. It was fine. We were just coming now on the approach. Shoot open. All good. Obviously, mm -hmm. once it opened, I asked the guy, I'm like, are we good? He's like, good. I'm like, the spare. He's like, the spare is intact as well. <laughs> we were just coming in hot, coming in uh. backwards, slammed the ground and dragged across the airfield. Two cousins landed on neighboring golf courses. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was it was crazy. So I was cushioned by the trainer twice my size. Oh, my gosh. And uh, he got the brunt of it all. Yeah. His back was kind of messed whoa, up. Yeah, whoa, bloody legs whoa, and all that. Whoa, I just whoa. had whiplash. I walked away with just whiplash. Oof. So I asked, I asked the guy before we took off, I said, has there ever been an incident where uh, something went wrong? Yeah. He says, I've been doing this for 10 years. One time the spare didn't, one time the main didn't open, the spare opened. Okay. Said anything else? He's like, nothing else. And this was your day? So after we <laughs> crashed... And we're like, just, you know, dusting ourselves oh off. Oh my gosh. You know, I look at him and I'm like, has that ever, now has that ever <laughs> happened? He's like, buddy. But I you mean, know what? Because you got the worst of it, you were not going to be, a, you're not going to be scared to do it again. Because what are the freaking odds of that happening again, right? Do it again. I won't do it. You won't do it no, again? No, I won't do it. This is God saying, listen, I gave you, an, <laughs> I gave you another chance. Oh. But the net gain here is. All, yeah. all as long as the plane is still flying and yeah. and and, um, and people aren't screaming, no amount of turbulence will scare me anymore. Really, yeah. you gained that out of gained that. Out, out of jumping out of a plane for whatever reason. Really, I did. Yes, I did. But I had that turbulence problem. Right, the slightest hazza. Yes, yeah. I'm like, nope, I'm gonna die. Please go back to smooth. <laughs> I you know, know. I knew I, I shouldn't know. have taken this plane. You know, I just I shouldn't have. <laughs> and I still have that. I think I still have that. So we were on a. 
Emirates flight to Dubai, and all airlines have air face air pocket. It's normal. Mm-hmm. We dropped for a very long five seconds. <gasps> it's like one of those <laughs> air pockets. The goom. Yeah. So if you're walking in the aisle, you'll you'll hit. Oh my god! Did it, was anyone walking? No one was walking because there was turbulence earlier. Prior. And captain said, "Put on the seatbelt." Okay, okay, okay. But if you walk, that's when you hit the top. Okay, Anything okay. The, we dropped for five seconds. I was fine. Oh my gosh! I would have probably passed out before the days of before the day of skydiving. Of course, 100%. it would have like, I'm knocked dead. me unconscious. I'm, I'm dead. I'm dead. No chance. And I was like, <laughs> no okay, chance. we see Dubai Wait, there. When did you go skydiving? What year was it? Two thousand and three. Two thousand and three. Okay, year, so but, you've been yeah, living yeah. like a really yeah. nice, solid amount of time without having but, that, you know, sphere of turbulence. But, but twenty years. Up until 2003, I had a, a major phobia. It's kind of like you and sharks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. really, really, it was bad. I know. For, you got to face of your fear. You got to face, and you that's why. You got to face that, your fear. That, that story uh, and the moral of it is <laughs> that if you face your fears. You will come out, yeah, you know, better for it. Nine times out of ten. Yes. <laughs> nine will. times out of ten. You won't be scraped on the floor <laughs> <laughs> jumping out of a plane. <laughs> uh, um, back to serious. Back to serious or yeah. series? Back to seriousness. Seriousness. Yeah. Okay, gonna, let's do this. tone you down yeah, a little bit. Yeah, let's go. Have you ever had any experience or feelings of depression? And if you did... That is an interesting question, Mohammed. How did you combat it or get over it? Well, when I was in college, uh, I went through a very, very, very horrible time. I don't know for what reason it was, to be honest, but I was going through like severe depression. Um, This is when I was in San Diego. Okay. And I actually reached out to a doctor to get help and I started seeing a therapist and I started taking medication for it and it got me through a really hard time. And at the same time, I was diagnosed with ADD at the same time. So prior to going... Uh, and being diagnosed in the States, I had lived my life through ADD without ever being diagnosed because nobody knew what it was. They just kind of labeled me as the naughty kid, the kid that couldn't pay attention, the kid that always did horrible on tests. And during during the same time of me getting uh, seeking help for my depression, I was also getting help for my ADD. And so they kind of happened hand in hand and at the same time with the same therapist. And so I think that process alone really, really helped get me out of my um, depression. And I took medication for it for for maybe a year, two years. And then uh, when I, it was funny, funny enough, when I moved back to Saudi, I stopped taking all meds because I was even on medication for ADD. Yeah. Um, um, can I just chime in? Yeah. I saw a doctor too when I was living in Boston and mm-hmm. they said, I have ADD. We mm-hmm. established you that. You definitely do. And they... Uh, <laughs> Let's be real. They, I can always spot the person really? that has it. I swear to God, I have students that I spot. I'm like, Are you, you're definitely ADD. I struggle at my desk job. I know, I know. It's no, I just such need a to struggle. be freed into the world. I'm sure you found ways, though, of coping. Come, because yeah. we develop coping mechanism, mechanisms, yeah. you know, because uh, we have to. Because yeah. we have to. So they hooked me up with Adderall. Yeah, and, that was um, the stuff. The, the blue, that was the the blue stuff. thing. No, that's Ritalin. Ad- you no, were, Adderall. The blue. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, yeah, is it yeah. different? And I just, I'm like, it's not for me. It 
made me feel weird and I just pretended to take it. I never took it and I don't think I've ever recovered. I was addicted to Adderall and this is why I would never ever, if someone told me, would you recommend putting my kid or whatever on medication for ADD, I would say hell no, hell no, hell no. It's addictive? It's a very addictive. It is a methamphetamine. It's a methamphetamine. It's a methamphetamine. It's a meth, it's a derivative or of methamphetamine. Do you know that the kids in school used to say, Mo, if you don't want it, please give it to of us? Of course. People would be selling it left, right, and center in university because they knew that people would want it. First of all, you know, people who do not suffer from ADD, actually it hap- the, the, the complete opposite happens to them. It's like they can't pay attention if, they, if they're on Adderall or if Ritalin or whatever. There's so many different ones now. But I found that it did help me. I mean, it did help me, but what it also did was I never ate. I had no appetite. I weighed 100 pounds. Um, I didn't sleep very well because it is a speed, so it keeps you active and it keeps your mind active. So even when my body would be tired, my mind would be continuously active. I was taking a ridiculous amount as well. Like it wasn't like I was taking one pill a day. I was taking multiple pills. Okay. And the recommended dose is, is one a day? It depends. Like the thing is, is that your body starts to get so used to it that you're taking, mm. let's say, 20 milligrams a day. And then your tolerance starts to build up. And so you start taking 30, 40, then you start in 60, and then you're like okay. overdoing the hell out of it. And it was just this feeling that I didn't want to. I felt very, very, very strong, empowered. I really felt empowered because so much of my life I went through it without having been able to sit down and read a book. And when I, you know, found Adderall, it was like, oh, my God, I literally um, locked myself in my room for the whole summer. My mom was freaking out for the whole summer, never left my room unless it was to maybe eat because I hardly ate and uh, read books all summer. And that was so incredible for me because I had never been able to do that. Now I've found ways of being able to calm my mind and work through the, you know, my concentration problems and so forth without anything. And sports have helped me immensely through that. Like that has been my saving grace, to be honest, is sports. Um, and now I'm starting to read again. And so like what part of my hobbies would be reading would be a big one. You know, I love reading now and I love uh, fiction especially. So with maturity and, and, and yeah. age, you managed to realize that there are natural remedies. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I wish that sentence is something that can be used today when doctors look to prescribe medicines to, 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 to children now who are 16, 17, 18 it's in so high school. Crazy. There are natural remedies. Like 100%. it doesn't have to be Ritalin or, or Adderall. No, there are natural remedies. They're just harder. They're just harder and you have to work a lot with your kid. It's not something that your kid is going to be able to do on their own. You're going to have to be on it with them and make sure. And, you know, the thing is, is that I have ADD. I don't have attention deficit hyperactive disorder. That's where things start to get a little tricky with kids. And that's where, you know, the parents are kind of going crazy is that the hyperactivity aspect where they can't sit down at all. It's the HD. It's yeah? the ADHD. HD. Okay. It's the hyperactivity. And that's where... It's really difficult to deal with kids that are like that because there's just no getting them to calm down and it's not something they have control over. Mm -hmm. And so what they tend to do is they tend to take the easy route, which is medication, and then they find that it it calms them down a little bit. But then there's so many, I mean, it's literally you're giving your kid meth, you know. I was really worried about my son um, 
because both his father and I are have been diagnosed with ADD. And so I was really worried that Talal was going to have some problems with it. But mashallah, alhamdulillah, he's, he's proving to be better than his dad and I put together. So that's great. Yeah, thank God. Probably that was a worry of yours. I'm it was sure, huge. It was huge. And actually, I actually took him um, to get him diagnosed really early on. And the doctor said, you know, listen, just because you and your husband have both been diagnosed with it, or my ex-husband, have been diagnosed with it, um, I'm going to say that Talal might have issues. And let's just put it down that he might. And that way he can get the extra help in school that he needs. And he gets extra help that he needs. But, you know, great. Why not? Yeah. You know. How old is Talal now? 12. Would you consider sending him to boarding school? Yeah. But not now. Not yet. Probably like, I, uh, you know, like, for me, it would be if, if I send him out, it would be probably to the States somewhere. And uh, maybe when he's 16. You know, I got shipped off. At I know. Yeah. 11. 11? That's like Ahmed and my my brother Ahmed and Salman. Salman was nine. Yeah, we went to the same. They followed my footsteps and they went to the school I went to. Was it Papelwick? Papelwick. Yeah. And then you went to where? Stowe. Oh, Stowe. You were the one that was like, who else went to Stowe? A couple of friends. Um, Majid Harasani, Tariq Al-Bahasi. Okay. uh, Rakan Al-Fadl. Okay, yes. So we were a nice... uh, Still, good yeah. reps of Saudi Arabia over there. Would you have to? Would you have changed anything about that? Do you think that no. would, you would do that for your son? Yeah. At eleven? Not not eleven. Just because I don't I don't I don't know. It depends on his character. It really does. Yeah. I think that's a big one. I think that's a big one. I know that Ahmed wanted to go off, mm. and I think Salman did a good job of it as well. Mashallah, being so young, but uh, I do think that with Salman has the character, your brother. Salman does, yeah. I like the camaraderie. I I love sports. I love yeah. being part of a team. Yeah, I love it. I didn't have it over here in Saudi. You didn't. I love the independence. I love even in, in private school. You didn't have what school you were in Darafik. I remember seeing up you in until the sixth grade. Yeah. Uh, so then, so in Papawik, it's like you're a, you're a family. You yeah. know, you eat, you sleep, you play sports, you you do everything mm-hmm. together. Independence, looking after yourself. Uh, your schoolwork, even though I was horrible at it, yeah. your lo- your laundry, your everything. It's Did your, your schoolwork own. ever get better? Uh, like what do you because yeah, event, when you event, got on you said you got on medication you hated it you didn't like how it felt but yeah. while you were on it did you feel like it was better for you I used to fake taking it mm, that's I, how much you I hated it I just didn't want to put chemicals in my body yeah when I get a headache I don't I don't take a Tylenol yeah yeah until yeah. today you're that that I, I just don't it. yeah mm. I'll just you know uh, go go for a jog have water change my environment my surroundings I'm not mm-hmm. gonna put chemicals in my body a headache will go everything's temporary. Mm-hmm. So that hasn't changed. Was did, I, did did my ability to become a better student with time yes. change? You found ways of coping with it. Not even. Not, not so much. <laughs> I was I was never I was never I didn't oh, take I did not enjoy sitting in a classroom. Yeah. Do I do I regret? I wish I didn't have that right. issue right. where I just can't stand. Like if I'm in a classroom, I'm looking outside at the, at the rugby pitch or the football pitch. Right, I want right. to play sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wish I, I I do wish I could have taken school a little more seriously. Mm-hmm. It would have taken me to a, a better um, college, mm-hmm. you know, maybe uh, maybe even a better job. Who mm-hmm. knows? 
but I won't change anything about my path. But did you find like at any time that you were so interested in the subject matter, but it was so difficult to just sit and and and, and focus yeah. on it that that was the annoying part? Because it was like, if I thought, I find this interesting, but it's just still so hard yeah. to concentrate. That's That's where it's like... You're annoyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. want to learn, but yeah. you can't because it, it means focus, and I can't. Exactly. Geography was the only subject that I enjoyed yeah, for whatever I loved, reason. I love geography too. I love geography. In I, high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, the moment you put letters with numbers in maths. Oh hell no! I'm out. I'm I'm I'm, I'm nope. That's a nope. But yeah. funnily enough, I I found myself teaching my son through YouTube videos, let me say, uh, math recently. So he's in sixth grade and I was teaching him sixth grade math. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And I was like, why am I doing that? I'm not the person to be doing this. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah, no. I think people with ADD do suffer a lot with math problems. Like the math is not a Mm. thing. It's not going to happen. I recall at Stowe, two people, Stowe School, the school I was in, two students committing suicide. Oof! And word was, it was because of how demanding A-levels were. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I know not yeah. to send my son Yeah, there. so it's it's really tough. That's like A-levels a- 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 is known to be the hardest thing you'll ever have to do. Yeah. College is, is not the same. Forget when it. I went to school in the U.S., it was nothing like GCSEs. Were you able to, like, take your A-levels? It was easy to, because uh, uh, this is what I'm thinking with Talal is, like, he's in a British school right now, but I'm thinking that if he were to go off to the States, which is probably going to be where he goes, you know, he's an American, American so it's easier, mm. um, that he, uh, what's it called? He goes through the American instead of the British. Yeah. It's better. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you, Hala, hold any regrets? Yeah, that's a great question. I get asked that too. But, and I think that for me, part of the regret, the thing is, is this, uh, is if I looked at it as regret, then I might not have done what I've done up until now. So one of my regrets was always that I wasn't able to get into competition. When I came back in 2003, um, my goal of life was um, to become a professional boxer. That was really something I had in mind. I had already, um, after that, I had gotten married, had a kid. And during the time that I had already had Talal, I very much looked into becoming a professional boxer because that was around the time that I started to train with the Russian instructor, the Russian coach in San Diego. Um, so... And I had even I had even told this to my mother, saying that I'm really looking into becoming a professional boxer. I had talked to uh, my baby daddy at the time and telling him that you know, look, I'm really thinking about going into this as a profession, you know. But that would mean I would have to to move to um, the states because there's no way that I could do it here. Even though I looked into bringing him here, the coach here, and so things started to become really, really like apparent that if I were to do that, I would have to put in everything I had, especially all my attention and time and focus, not just by moving to the States, which would mean, you know, being apart from my husband at the time, but also spending so much time away from my son. And I had a son and I, you know, it's not his fault that he was born and his mom wants to do this. So I was like... If I do this, I mean, I know myself. It's all in or all out. 
And I couldn't, I couldn't justify my own life for my son. So that was put on the back burner. So I would say if there was any regret, it was more not, not being able to get into competition for myself. But then what came out of it was me putting all my passions and all my love for the sport and all, you know, my focus into opening a space for women to be able to do it in this country and be, being able to get into competition in this country, which we already have done, you know. So in I'm not living that life, but I'm hopefully being able to supply it for other people. It's basically what you're, I think what it is, is that you can't really look at your life in regret. If you look at regret, then, you know, the way that it's like the sliding doors scenario. If you, if you go through one door, obviously your life will be different. If you had got chosen another path, your life would be completely different as well. And so I think that my life was supposed to be the way it is. So I can't see it as a regret. I see it as something that I wished for and I hoped for at the time. But to say that I regret it, that's a big word for it what is, it, it is. is. Because I think my life has been chosen and shaped in a way that I'm able to offer something that I probably wouldn't yeah. have done. You you aren't the person you are today if it wasn't for the scars that you carry. Yeah, for sure. You remove one scar, uh, you are kind of different. You're yeah, not absolutely. As... It's that sliding th door theory for sure. It's like you chose one path, this is what happens. It's the butterfly effect butterfly of life, effect. right? Good movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good movie. Yeah. Good movie. <laughs> Does everything, in your opinion, happen for a reason? Absolutely. Very much uh, believe in, uh, in, in fate. I believe in energy. I believe in karma. I believe that from this action, this can happen. I believe in allow, you know, putting as much goodness into the world as possible and allowing that translate and penetrate as many lives as possible, which was, I think, I feel, I hope, I pray that that's what I'm doing in my life when I'm, you know, teaching what I teach and, and you know, just being with the students that I'm with. And and I pray that that comes back to me tenfold in, in kindness and goodness and positivity, inshallah. Uh, what you're doing is, is really profound because you're allowing females to believe in themselves yeah, and that. stand up for themselves. Alhamdulillah. Unfortunately, we hear of one too many harassment stories for our liking. Yes. Here you are giving a girl the opportunity to stand up for herself mm -hmm. if she is ever abused or harassed. Yeah, because these stories, they come up more than we wish. Yeah, that's for sure. And, and I think it's just them carrying themselves a different way. And truly, that's where it all starts yeah. is them understanding and believing in themselves. Yeah. And if you believe in yourself, you carry yourself a certain way. And then from there, nobody's going to mess exactly. with you. Exactly. Well, even if it's well before the days of any physical harm to yes. happen. Yeah. But just, yeah, to carry yourself. Yeah. If I, you know, if you walk in the streets being confident and, and, and proud of yourself and happy with yourself and... You know, you're gonna, you're never gonna be messed with. I promise. Yeah. You won't be. And if you are, then you know how to hopefully think, defend yeah. yourself. You know, you know how to do something and run away. Like I'm never gonna be sitting there bouncing, you know, pouncing on someone or punching someone to death. No way. Yeah. I'm gonna like strike Just and get out. Diffuse and, and get the absolutely out of yeah. get out. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. never know what they can pull up, pull out. Totally. Yeah. So I mean. I don't even think that I need to ask you this question because you've hit on it like every 20 minutes or so. <laughs> but uh, your your advice to someone coming up who, who wants to be the next you, if you will, uh, what would you say uh, to that person that wants to open the second female 
mm-hmm. boxing facility in Saudi. Yeah. I would say that don't believe that you know everything. Like there's, first of all, there's no fast way of becoming a good coach. There's time and effort and, you know, you got to put in a lot of it, a lot of the work. And I think part of the way you learn through the process is actually just doing it. You know, I think I've learned how to become a better coach, first of all, because I never believed that I knew everything that there is to know. There's always something you got to evolve. You have to constantly evolve and believe that there's more information out there and look for it and seek it. Seek all that knowledge that's out there. Um, and just make sure that you're developing tools to be able to deal with people on an individual level. That's something that I didn't learn until way later, let me tell you. Like uh, in the beginning, I always believed because I have such an athletic mentality and I have, you know, everybody needs to train the way I train. Everybody needs to train hard. They need to come in and put all their time and effort into it and, you know, be as passionate as I was. That's not necessarily the case with people and that's okay. You know, and there's nothing wrong with it. And I feel like that was a process that I had to go through to understand that I don't need, everybody's an individual, everybody deals with things differently. And you, if you're a good coach, you'll be able to spot that right off the bat. You know, like I have to be a little bit tougher with this one. I have to be a little bit stronger with this one. I have to be a little more lenient, give a little bit more positive feedback with this one. So you have to individualize it, believe it or not. Um, and so learn through the process of teaching is a big one, big one. Don't ever think that you know all of it because you don't, you don't. That's great advice in mm-hmm. anything, not just the Absolutely realm of what everything. you do. Absolutely everything. It takes, it takes time to, to build something. Yes, so, and I think that's what makes the best coaches. Look at all the best coaches in the world. They're all old dudes yeah. or old women that yeah. are like have had time and training and taught and, you know, put in all of that work and they've they've built tools to be able to then translate it to their to their um, students. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like that's been my best process. Not mm-hmm. not just studying under a lot of amazing coaches, but also just the time that I've been doing this has been able to give me all that information that I've that I've developed through my students themselves, learning through them and then being able to give it back to different students that ca- show yeah. similar characteristics, yeah. you know. Yeah, totally. Thanks, Hala. You have been a gem of a guest. Thank you so much. Uh, I uh, so much content, so much (laughs) advice, so many different elements that you shared with us that uh, is super useful for many people. I've learned so much. I've gotten to know even much when I thought that I that I that I know you well. Yeah, uh, I got to know so much of what you what we don't see the behind the scenes. that many people don't see that you have to deal with on a on a daily basis. Mm Is there anything that uh, we missed or something that you want to throw in there before we let you go? Mm, becoming more aware that sports and fitness and nutrition and health is such an important aspect through of your life. Um, I really hope that the mentality changes from being a short-term fix to a long-term lifestyle. Yeah. I would think that that is the most important thing because, you know, you're just because you have a wedding coming up doesn't mean that you should be losing weight within a month. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, guess what? You could be doing this for your life and hopefully feeling amazing when you're 70. That's one of my other fe- third, three fears that I have. The third one is aging and aging in terms of my body not being able to keep up with my mind. And I see my... My, my grandfather, Allah who passed away, and he was he was playing golf wow. until he was in his 90s, Mashallah. my American grandfather. And 
he I remember that when his body started to give out in his 90s, which is let's you know be real that it's pretty amazing, mashallah. He was so frustrated because his mind was so much there that his body was giving out. And I think that's one of my greatest fears is not being able to go climbing on a weekend when I'm 60 or, you know, like not being able to do something physically because my body doesn't keep up with me. Who would want that for yeah. themselves? And if you sit on your butt for the rest of your life, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, at an earlier age. At an earlier would, yeah. age, that's yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, start them young. Start, you know, they need to develop those, you know, functional movements that every child should be developing, you know, and don't take it for granted. Don't let your kids sit around and do nothing. Yeah. Too much screen time these days. Yeah, well, my son is one of those, so like seriously, it's hard. Mine, mine too, and we're just trying to reduce it as much as possible. Yes, yeah. good, please do. Thanks, Hala, Thank for you. everything. You, you, you're the same person. All the these time. Three cameras are rolling, or not? Yes. <laughs> have you done live TV? I, I just yeah, love how you don't. You don't have to. You don't put on a face. No. Bless you. I, I, I would say never change, but you're never gonna change. I'm never right? gonna change. I don't know how to change. Muhammad, I don't know how to. Are we still on or should I well, take Well, I'm about to wrap up okay. and say things. <laughs> <laughs> One of my I really... favorite episodes. <laughs> I bet you send it to so, all the girls. No, check, check. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Thanks, Hala. Thank you so you're much, Habibi. Really take enjoyed care. this. Really enjoyed this. Thank Me you. too.